You ready, man? Let's do this thing. Awesome. You ready, bud? Mm-hmm. All right. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me blame life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey everybody, welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And today with us we have... Andre Matthew. Tell us a little about yourself, Andre. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm a, a Navy reservist. Uh, did active duty for eight years, uh, then switched to the reserves. Just crossed my Jesus, 15, 16 year mark. I've, I forgot to have been in, no, <laughs> been in for a while. So... Uh, yeah, and right now I'm uh, currently a, a contractor to uh, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center up in uh, Northern Virginia. Oh, uh, cool. Just real so briefly, that's... you said like Dahlgren area? Uh, no, this is, uh, you know, the defense contractors okay, up in okay. Northern Virginia. They're all gotcha. populated around the, uh, gotcha. the Alexandria. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. yeah, sure. We're looking forward to getting into that after a report oh. from our sponsor. Do you like YouTube? We just found this great YouTube channel called Tardbar. The army sucks a big bag of dick. He's an ex-army interrogator. You have to go to his YouTube channel and subscribe. And like he says, tickle the like button or fondle the, the subscribe, subscribe button. button. The army sucks a big bag of dick. Tardbar, spell it. T-A-R-D-B-A-R-K. Again, T-A-R-D-B-A-R-K. Go subscribe. Subscribe right now. now. It's hilarious. The army sucks a big bag of dick. Welcome everybody back to E14 Podcast. Again, with us is Andre Matthew, uh, Navy reservist. So I did a little fleet temp stalking, fleet dude. Stalking. Fleet yeah, that's what that's we do. Right. I, that's, know, that's what that's, Navy chiefs do, man. Yeah. Stalk the shit out of everybody. I was like, I was like, why do you have his fleet temps print out printed out? That is so weird. That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> so no, that's it's, like first baseball card. So you know, it's yeah. uh, I have to make yeah. sure that information's right. Yeah, I just kind of like to know a little bit of background. It's easy since you're in the military. It's, it's especially the Navy. It's easy to do. So uh, you're an aviation electronics technician. Yes, that's a, a first joined the Navy. Uh, was a a com nav tech that started out on a TACAN, um, and then of course whenever uh, you go into I was an I level tech, so we went down to component level. Um, so it wasn't just TACAN for me. It's a VHF, UHF radios, uh, uh, rat out. Uh, Anything you would find in the ComNav shop, that's yeah. what my original uh, job was for. I'm, so. I'm pretty familiar. I'm an electronics technician on the surface side. Yeah, so, so just missing the wings, that's all. Yes, that's yeah. it. So <laughs> you you went O-level, was you just squadron time? And so you did when I, AMD? Yeah, so I was I-level when I first came in, active duty. Uh, and then in 2008, uh, I was one of the PTS kids. And unfortunately... I was asked to leave, and then I joined the reserves almost immediately. And immediately upon doing that, uh, they sent me O-level, because at the time, there wasn't really any I-level. There were no I-level billets for AT reserves. You all went to the squadron. So I ended up going to the uh, E-2 RAG squadron right there on Norfolk. So, And it was almost like a, a 
an easy swap for me because my last uh, duty prior to switching reserves was uh, uh, the radar or the transmitter for the E2C Hawkeye aircraft. So it was an easy swap for me. What does um, that just mean? Have... I level, O level. I'm, I'm, Go ahead. I'm an air traffic controller, but I'm lost here. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Uh, explain so, it, Tom. so in the aviation arm, especially uh, electronics and, and, and electricians, for ATs, you have two uh, career paths almost. Uh, you have an I level, intermediate, and then O level. I level guys typically work on the boxes that come off the off the jet. O level guys will, you know, typically fix the jet. Now you never. I have seen people kind of just stay at either at AIMDs or FRCs as they're now called mm-hmm. and O-level guys stay at squadrons. But what they, what happens typically in a guy's career or, uh, or anybody's career, they'll swap back and forth. I-level, you fit, you go down to component level of the box. Whereas an O-level is like, hey, this box is broken. They pull it off the bird, put a new box in. Box comes to a person like me. And then we troubleshoot the box, oh, put it right God. back out. In the, yeah. So. Yeah. So. Coming from I level going to O level, that was a pretty easy, easy transition because you could already fix the box. You just had to swap out the box now. Yeah. Uh, so prior to even uh, going uh, reserves, I did two deployments on the Eisenhower and oh, cool. being an E2 guy and only having to support four birds, which was nice. Yeah. I would, I would, uh, first thing I did was I'd go up to the squadron guys. I go, hey, listen, before you guys say to me, you know, some knuckleheaded gripes, call me up here. I will come and help. They troubleshoot in the bird that way I can say, you know, give me that box or give me that box. And right. for both deployments, you know, it's easy like that. So instead of all of a sudden we're pulling into port, 15 boxes are showing up. I was like, come on, guys, don't do don't do me yeah, like right. that. Right. Like, right. Let's, let's make our let's make both our lives as easy as possible. So I spent a lot of time up there on the uh, the flight deck with them, helping their uh, troubleshoot at least the transmitter section and then uh, just made time for port call. I've got yeah. nothing on my bench. So there you, you know, go. You can hit the, hit the land, <laughs> have a cold beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, man, I, I, after when I was reading over your fleet temps, I noticed uh, you did a lot of NSW time, man. So, yeah, uh, like I said, I was PTS out in 08, um, mm-hmm. you know, right there at the, the height of PTS and ERB was yeah. coming on, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I switched the reserves. I did some time at O level, and then I volunteered for a, a another uh, IA uh, that came up, and it was a a, a Scan Eagle IA. Um, Say that again. I missed that. The Scan Eagle. So oh, Scan okay. Eagle is what? Yeah, yeah uh, is the uh, UAV of choice for naval special warfare. Um, yeah. uh, around that out, you know, uh, I volunteered for that. Uh, went through the training uh, for IA, and then I went to Afghanistan in 14. And while I was there, I got recruited to help stand up the reserve equivalent of the active duties uh, uh, UAS uh, program, what they call the uh, special reconnaissance teams, uh, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. And then from 14 on, that's what I've been doing. So, so it's the unmanned aircraft pretty much, right? Unmanned systems, or as people <laughs> typically like to call them, drones. Drones, uh, right? Yeah, right. I hate that word because it implies yeah. that there's there's nobody behind it, but there's definitely somebody who gets in trouble when those things go down. So, <laughs> right, right, no, Perfect. and you know, um, with my experience, I'm in NSW right now. Um, about to retire this month, but all right, yeah, man, Halloween's my it. 26 years, dude. I'm done. Yeah, yeah we're so what are you gonna do when you grow up? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna sit here and be a dependent. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's one way to do it. Drink beer and yell the soap operas. You know what I mean? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, it's not uncommon to see aviation types in NSW now. I did a lot of work with um, mm-hmm. with one of the groups. They'd come down. We'd help them out when they came down in the stennis. And one was an AT senior chief and yep. one was an AE1. And they, they were in charge of the, the, the UASs. Yeah, it probably yeah. is a Puma, right? Puma, Puma, right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the systems that, uh, we all get qualified on is the Puma. And there's an AV Master Chief uh, we've talked to, Steve. What's his last name? I can't remember his last name, Steve. Anyway, call him Steve. So uh, he, he, me and him talked about the ladder for aviation. It's NSW is in y'all's ladder now for making rank. For the active side. If you go yeah, for the active reserve, side, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Russ Reservice. Uh, it's world. Yeah. It is. They, uh, and I know the master chief who um, uh, actually helped, but he talked to, you know, the other uh, senior enlisted there in Millington is like, Hey, we need to put this in there because these guys are, um, it's, a, it's an arduous duty uh, for, our, uh, for these deployments. I think average, these guys are away from home almost 210 days out of the year. And this is just before deployment. So uh, it's it's not for everybody. We'll put it that way. 110 days. Yeah, they're going a lot. And, yeah. and they even, that's not even counting their workups, you know, what they're doing before they deploy. They're going a lot. They're always traveling. So uh, it's, um, it's an always on the go lifestyle. Um, my first love is deployment. I've got seven under my belt in my, you know, my career. Um, but it, it's rewarding and it's hard at the same time. So it is what you make out of it. And I'm sure that's true of any deployment that most sailors go on. How does your civilian job feel about you deploying all of this time? So uh, back up a bit. Uh, I did four, um, deployments for NSW, uh, and in between, uh, in between those, we would, uh, um, I do contract deployment. So I had one teaching, uh, Saudis at Saudis actually how to fly Puma. I did that one. I did another one helping uh, the coast guard, um, track narco traffickers down there in the Caribbean and Eastern Pacific, which was a, a really interesting, um, uh, deployment. Uh, and after following this previous deployment that I just came off at the end of last year is when I got picked up for, uh, to work for the joint artificial intelligence center. So the unit, uh, is flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so long as, you know, we're all big boys and girls here in the reserves, right? You, you manage your career. So as long as there's a communication up front, there is a way to you know get your drills in, uh, make sure, you know, you can knock out your test, PRT, all those things that are kind of standard with a, a, a naval career um, if the contracting life is something for you. But uh, No, I think we, a lot of people, especially our listeners, or a lot of them are active duty and they've never had to do that civilian shift with the with the Navy. And I'm just uh, actually just went FTS, so full-time support, but I was right. reserved before. And having to switch on and off, and, and even Heath has said this, he was like, man, I used to think reservists were like just, you know, they didn't know how to wear their uniform properly. And I'm like, you don't understand. You have to shift it on, shift it off, shift it on, shift it off. You forget stuff. Yeah, it's funny because I, I, you know, in NSW, you have to have your ID. I was like, I hadn't touched my ID in a couple of months now, and I had like a mini heart attack. I was like, oh, where's my, 
Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Badge. I'm like looking for my badge. It's like, oh god, I put it. You know, I put it in my drawer uh, next to my uh, uh, my bed. So I was like, all right, now I know where it is. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's really hard to. Uh, it's a light switch, and it's a yeah. there's a bit of a learning curve to flip that switch on and off, on and off. You know, uh, I between. tell people like this, like you know, you go on leave for a week, and and imagine how hard it is to get back into work after a week. We yeah. drill once a month, so <laughs> you got like thirty days in between, or however long in between a drill, and then according, you know, if you go on deployment or whatever it may be, it, it takes a. Uh, a little bit to get acclimated to back to the Navy life. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, for those who are previously active duty and gone reserve, it, it, I would say for them, it's a little bit easier. Sometimes it's harder if I, I call them straight reserves, people who just know nothing but straight mm-hmm. reserve time. It's, there's a lot more of a learning curve. Uh, I mean, hell alone is a whole book of acronyms just for the Navy Reserve. Yeah. Yep. And you, it, when we first started this program, they hadn't, you know, there were reservists, but they were sprinkled here and there, right? They, they just, they weren't a commonplace things. And then uh, as our UAS program stood up and the natural baggage train that comes with a reservist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the different acronyms. <laughs> You, you're telling active duties and they're just like that, that RCA dog. They're just kind of like, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and we try to, for us old hats, uh, try to make it as smooth as possible. Uh, but you're always going to hiccups. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, so it, it definitely requires um, a more effort for a reservist uh, and a lot of asking questions to, you know, go and get information to know when, you know, you know, just to, just to do your job. Sometimes, right. it, and that's what it says, like, I, just trying to do my job. Yeah. I can't even do that. Right. Yeah. So. And then, uh, and then you go to NSW and they got a whole set of acronyms there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they're already there. set. Yeah. They're already set to hundred miles an hour. Right. And yeah. you're just trying to get them and then chuck with them. And it's, drinking out of fire hose oh man i tell you i had 20 years in oh over 20 years in when i got to uh nsw and it was like i was learning all over again yeah it's i I tell people who come into this i go listen the first thing you can do coming here keep your mouth shut and absorb as much information as possible and if you don't know ask yeah. And the last thing you can do for yourself is don't bullshit anybody because they're going to see right through. Yeah. It's just, yeah. They, they, <laughs> don't do it. Um, and for the most, they take it, you know, well on board, quiet. They learn their jobs real fast, you know, and it's something that NSW very big on is be good at your job. Right? They so don't like care about, they don't care about the other bullshit. Just be able to no, do your job and do, do it right. Job. And um, it's about trust and reputation, which is mm-hmm. I've always uh, uh, liked the most. Yeah. Um, I would say rank matters, but not nearly as much as your experience. It's totally different, and, man. It's totally different. Dude. You go, I went in there as a senior chief and it, they didn't give a shit. <laughs> they, they cared they more about what you can do than what you're wearing <laughs> on, your, on your uniform. And it's 100%. And I, I like yeah. that. Uh, I like that you have to earn the respect no matter what. I, li- I like that. Uh, we call it the, uh, hate to say it, it's the proverbial butt sniffing, you know, yeah. who's who in the zoo. 
it, and everybody's once you get, alpha. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, which is fine because it's a high-performing organization, right? It, the mission matters more than anything else. So all the superfluous nonsense that you, you see in a normal Navy career, it's like, we don't have time for that. We're too mm-hmm. undermanned and we've got stuff to do. I don't care about it. I care. Do your job. Yeah. That's what, what about I care the about. physical fitness standards? Are they higher for this? So they are, they are, they're the standard for what the Navy is, right? That's, yeah. that's what you're, you're held to, right? I mean, you're not going to butts. However, comma, these things look the part. Uh, yeah. I'm not at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not saying, uh, you know, big PG stuff. I love to work out. I love to lift have for a long time. Um, do not attempt to, uh, to screen or come to the unit looking terrible. Like a bag of it, shit. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will, it, cause first impressions are everything, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you have, the, like I said, the proverbial butt sniffing. If you don't look the part and I'm not saying you have to go, you know, Gucci out, you know, what we call G up from the feet up trying to look like an operator and got the sleeve tat, you know, like, yeah, yeah. no, if you look the part automatically, they'll start talking to you to now find out if the bullshit meter goes off. And then yeah. if you know your job, right. Uh, or even if you're new, um, they'll figure out whether mm-hmm. or not they'll work with you. It's a very, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic really. Um, so I, like we said, if they don't care what's here or what's here, they care about, can you make us more lethal on the battlefield? So as long yeah. as you can do that, you're golden outside of that, you know, it, if you get shelved, it's not a, it's not a good thing. So yeah. yes, to answer your question is physical fitness while then it's the Navy standard don't come just doing the, being the, the three mile a year club. That's not going to fly. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I had a friend, she's an MC and she did um, one of the very, very first combat cameras. <laughs> so where they weren't really screening physical fitness wise. And she used to tell me, you know, she was jumping out of helicopters and all of this stuff, chasing these seals. <laughs> And she was always the last one and they would get mad at her because she was like the last yeah. one running in and she, she, she didn't prep. No. <laughs> but that, that wasn't part of it. It was just, Hey, do you want to do this? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll volunteer. And then it turned into now they, they screen a little bit. Yeah. I remember um, we'd have guys like my last command, I was at air station. They'd want to go to one of the boat teams or, or one of the, uh, uh, one of the sealed delivery, the S- SDVs mm-hmm. teams, uh, and then they would put in for it. And I'd call the detail. It goes, you know what? Uh, they they would. They, it's not like they were in bad shape. They just didn't put out during the PFAs. Yeah. So they look at that. They do. So, they never so, got. If they didn't have an excellent or better, they wouldn't be looked at. Um, they know uh, if you're trying to save some in the tank. What they're really looking for is everything. Give me yeah. everything. Yeah. If you give me everything and you fall on your face, that's fine. But I know you gave me everything. If you're yeah. just trying to set cruise control, they're going to know. They're going to so, see uh, right through it. Yeah. So then, yeah. what, what, tell me about you did seven deployments. So, yeah, uh, I first came in, uh, uh, I level tech, like I said, I, um, I raised my hand like an idiot for an IA in uh, mm-hmm. 2006. Okay. For yeah, for I to Iraq, um, to that that was my very first deployment. Was a year to Iraq. Uh, came home from that, 
switched to sea duty, then uh, did two deployments on the Eisenhower. Uh, PTS comes in, ERB, hey, we got to show you the hatch. I was like, all right. Um, switched from active to reserve almost mainly that year. I did a couple years uh, on you know long-term orders going to school uh, at the uh, at the squadron, and then I uh, um, picked up an IA again for Afghanistan, and then did Afghanistan in fourteen. Recruited into NSW almost immediately uh, after that, and then I did almost back to back to back uh, deployments to uh, Africom AOR in NSW as a UAS uh, operator and maintainer. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, in a nutshell, that's been my career uh, and a fairly interesting one, to say the least, at, at least for a maintainer perspective. Yeah. Right, because you're a troubleshooter, man. Yeah, uh, that's You know, yeah. and and you're an aviation guy and all but, what, two of your deployments have, per, have been pretty much NSW. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, yeah. three. I, the, I I did support uh, when I was in Iraq. I was I was supporting uh, SOCOM, but yeah, right after that is both both deployments doing a typical maintainer deployment, and yeah. after that has been essentially nothing but NSW in one fashion, one form or fashion. So, so I know during those times, talking about those years, 2014 timeframe, uh, we were still kind of knee deep in that shit. Um, yes, we were supposed to draw down Afghanistan and. Right. Uh, that was supposed to happen. Uh, right. And so I ended up going until, uh, yeah, for six months I was there. Um, and then it continued, uh, obviously for a little while. And then that's when, um, like I said, NSW was trying to, well, I'll back up a little bit. So the active duty units had originally done all the U S sites in Afghanistan. And unfortunately it just didn't have enough people of all the sites that were out there supporting the different SOTIFs that were there. So what NSW did was like, hey, we need people to come out and, and fly these aircraft for us and, and, um, and help support these sites while they're still there, right? So uh, there's where the reservists came into play. So the SOCOM uh, or Naval Special Warfare in, in particular paid to have these guys go to school, which is a civilian school up there in um, Hood River, Oregon, they would go out, uh, do their deployment, and they'd go back to their units. And they'd been doing this for a couple of years at this point, if not more. And what they realized was uh, NSW, we're losing a lot of money uh, training these guys. And they just they do a pump and then they go home, right? Yep. They go back to their normal unit. And these classes weren't cheap I mean, between uh, the class itself, I think was at the time, like 50, 60 grand to put okay. a, one person in a seat. And then wow. um, between the travel and then get them out there. And then the standard six month deployment, right? 180 uh, days, boots on ground. Sometimes right. people extend go longer, but you know, they uh, realize like we're forking out a ton of money to send these people to school. So, by the time I came around in, in late uh, 13 into 14, when my deployment happened, uh, they realized that, like, how do we capture the money? Like, what's our, what do we get for our return on investment? How do we capture this experience these, these people have? 
like I said, uh, you know, started calling around and I was among the first five guys. And I was like, all right, we'll be the stupid boy. <laughs> we'll do this again for you. And uh, we did the, uh, uh, I was one of the, uh, the first reserve debts to deploy uh, as an organic NSW unit. So which was split between SEAL Team 17, which is on the West Coast, and SEAL Team 18, which is on the East Coast. And then, uh, yeah. So you were like a regular. Yeah, I w- <laughs> yeah, it was uh, repeat offenders, they like to call yeah, them. Yeah, 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 repeat offenders, right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I've enjoyed uh, every minute of it. it had um, we not gone through, you know, a lot of the, uh, the pain that, that a reservist, uh, a reserve, normal reservist deal with, and then now you're a reservist with an NSW, it just amps it to another level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably wouldn't be in the, the current, you know, civilian job that I have or right. done the number of things uh, um, that I've had in my history. So it's uh, been tough. It's been, you know, uh, mind numbing, but rewarding at the same time. So I, I do not regret, you know, uh, the decision to go where I've gone. So, and Andre is big because those guys are very selective who they call their family. Yes. Um, and, and I'm sure you were considered family cause you were there so much with them and you showed you, you know, showed what you could do. And that's saying a lot because trust me, these guys are standoffish. They vary at arm's length. Uh, yeah. it's funny too. When, uh, uh, when I came back to drilling side, um, I'm always constantly over there at the active duty unit I support and I always get the wait, go like, no, just here to pick up some equipment, you know, <laughs> be some this, that kind of thing. So, hey guys, you know, can we borrow some of your toys so we can go, you know, stay current and stuff like that. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, That's it's, awesome. it's been a ride to say the least. That is so cool. So your civilian job, can you get into that a little bit? What you do kind of a little more and can you, I don't know if you can or not. Uh, what I can get into. So, uh, as a contractor for, um, Jordan artificial intelligence center, we are, um, working on the the ability to, um, put artificial uh, intelligence, machine learning on NQ nine reapers. So that is a program that is out there. Um, I know the first thing in your brain about Skynet. Yeah. Even I said that when I got hired, and to this day, I keep yelling, stop saying Skynet. Well, <laughs> come on, guys. So, like, we've seen this movie, right? So, <laughs> um, and really what it is, it, it's basically a way to, uh, being a U.S. guy, is to help the operators and the Intel uh, analysts do their job more efficiently. Uh, there's only so long that your eyes can stare at a screen Damn right. hours on end and uh, not miss something. Right. So yeah. the point of it is, is to make your job more efficient. Um, in NSW, these guys will sit behind uh, the chair for 12, 13, 14 hours and you're smoked by like hour five. Right? Yeah. But no, yeah, it's definitely. an ego thing. And I tell these guys, you know, don't do it. You know, we'll swap out and get fresh eyes in there. So in the civilian world, it's, it's a way of helping these guys be more efficient and you know so they don't miss anything and nothing would hurt you more especially close to your heart is if you're covering people on the ground and you miss something because you're tired because yeah. you just didn't want to get up right you just didn't want to get a seat um 
No, they're in, in the fleet. They're doing research. They've changed a lot. It used to be eight-hour watches like OD or, or CIC watch officer or TAO. Yeah. They used to do eight, six-hours watches straight, and then they changed it. They they found out two, three-hour watches a day were more effective. Yeah, because they stayed alert for those three hours, yeah. and then somebody else refreshed eyes. So it's it's noticed that you can't stare at a screen for 10, 12 hours a day and expect no. to be that detailed the whole 12, 13 hours. Yeah. I liken it to playing hurt, right? While yeah. admirable and you want to support your team, but you're no good to them, right? You're no longer an asset. You're a liability. Exactly. Exactly. So there's no, I, I try to tell these guys, like, Hey, there's no shame in coming out you know, every couple hours, you know, get out of the seat. And I've had to do that to guys, kick them out of the seat, like go take a walk, go, Go close your eyes for 20 minutes because you're not helping anybody if you miss something. Right. Um, Heroes get zeros. Yeah. So, like I said, playing hurt while admirable, not advisable. Right. Right. So, it's cool that your civilian job helps you when you deploy again. Yes and no. Uh, Yeah, kind of, you know. know, I have been able, in because of my career, flow between, you know, flying UAVs for NSW and then doing it on the civilian side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the, the only thing that changes is really what you're wearing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, not and what they call you. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he's NSW. His first name, civilian, his first uh, name, NSW. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've got, it's funny you said, I got called AT1 the other day and I was just like, what? <laughs> oh, he's like, he's like, you're talking to me. It's like, don't ever do that again. You scared the crap out of me. I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on those Afghanistan deployments, you see a, you know, we're going to get into mental health a little bit because we you know, we've been talking about it a lot. It's getting more prominent in today's age. I mean, the last uh, podcast we did was on uh, healing mental health uh, yeah, via PTSD, yeah, PTSD via ketamine infusions. Mm-hmm. So what kind of stuff did you see out there? Because, you know, Afghanistan's, I mean, it's a shithole. Let's get it right. It's not a good place, especially where y'all were. I remember uh, one particular mission. Uh, we were uh, supporting MARSOC at the time, and the MARSOC team was, you know, training their um, Afghan special forces, right? And they were in a tick with uh, Taliban, whoever was on there. Anyway, at, they rolled over the compound, and I'm watching the Taliban shoot uh, the. Afghan SF through what they call murder holes, you know, just, just a hole just big enough to stick your rifle out and shoot. Yeah. And apparently, prior to my getting there to the tick, one of the Afghan SF had already been hit. So he's laying out in the field um, in between, you know, the fire line between uh, the Taliban and then the SF guys. And the guy's just laying there, right? And I'm like trying to, you know, swivel back and forth, give the uh, platoon leader. Uh, or, or the GFC really essay on what's going on, right? You get that big bubble of information yeah. um, to see. And, uh, you know, passing information through my mission commander, everything like that, you know, trying to provide uh, as much information as possible, essay as possible uh, to the GFC. And it just kept coming back to this guy on the ground. Now, he's not my, you know, uh, my teammate off the bat, but I'm watching these guys, you know, slug it out, you know, like they're using nothing but small arms, right? There's no RPGs. And I've, I've stared at the, the Taliban and what they've had for, I don't know, at least an hour at this point. Like they have no heavy weapons. I'm like, 
go get your fucking dude. Like, why is he on the ground? Like, and I'm, I'm getting mad. I like physically getting mad. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Because for us, you know, yeah, they say get off the X, right? In the middle of firefight, get off the X. Yeah. But you guys have up armored vehicles. These guys are shooting at you with small arms fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roll your, you know, your mat fees over there. Get in between your dude and them. Pick him up. Throw him in the truck and get the fuck on. He's he's still fucking there. And it's driving me absolutely crazy, right? Because it's like this physical compulsion to want to go out there and Help grab me. this guy off the ground. It just made me angry. It's um, fast forward through the mission. Uh, they finally go get him. Um, at some point during the night, they managed to go pick, pick his body. He's dead now. Um, come in. Uh, I got relieved. Next crew. I go in to relieve them the next day. And, you know, I ask them, hey, what happened? Yeah, they finally picked him up and everything like that. So to go back to your you know, question about mental health, it's like, you know, shit like that sticks with you because it's like, if that would have been me mm. or one of my guys, I would be absolutely livid at that point. Just losing my mind because something could have been done. And yeah. again, that, that for us in the military is that natural compulsion to go out and get your buddy, you know, right. hurt dead indifferent it doesn't matter to go get them out of that you know off the x and get them to some sort of uh safety if if possible so yeah you see a lot of crazy things um you know and for him to be a afghanistan security afghanistan security force and for you to have i mean you still speak with conviction and passion right when you when you're bringing this up i hear it in your voice and and you probably got off of that watch and just had to kind of sort through your feelings like what uh you know just leave me alone let me think through this because it's something that brought something up inside of you It, it because you it it's weird in the UAV community and there's actually a great book that was just written on it. uh, It's called uh, on killing remotely by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Phelps. In fact, I have it right here. Uh, And he kind of just goes through uh, um, the things that uh, what most people, you know, uh, know, say, uh, Oh, UAS guys, they don't get PTSD or, you know, they, they don't have those kinds of things. And while, not being physically under fire, you know, while you're you know operating things. Sometimes you see things, whether uh, another good one was, you know, uh, watching a convoy, you know, and doing security scan on a convoy and you're trying to give again, that essay bubble. Right. And how it came out, it, Intel came out, whatever, somewhere they had already dropped in an ID in the road and they were coming up on it scan up i see what looks you know nature poor straight lines right so he's got the road and then a straight line across it i'm like that's not right and at the time the way to pass information it was mission commander intel back up to the jock and then it and it's just this chain to get to the guys on the ground Mm -hmm. oh wow raymond like guys listen they're coming up on something and the, the delay between me saying I saw it and the time it actually gets radioed to the truck commander or the convoy commander. Mm-hmm. 
and they're trucking along at 50, 60 clicks, yep. you know, you know, there's nothing you can do. And you get really upset because you see things sometimes before they happen. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's, it's aggravating watching that, that slow trickle just to get that information. And you're like, if there's only some freaking way I could talk to that dude, Bypass all the bullshit in between. Yeah, all the red tape. Cut through it. Yeah. So uh, they've gotten better about that. We've got technology now uh, within the systems themselves that allow for that direct uh, contact. And uh, a lot of the team guys that have gone up, like in our previous um, uh, deployments, they love it because it's... uh, I get to talk to, you know, the JTEC or the GFC almost immediately. Right. So... you know, a straight line uh, right to them. Or if a guy is in the truck with them, you know, uh, flying the uh, aircraft remotely, yeah. and he's talking, he's going to turn right to the guy and go, Hey, so it, it's gotten a lot better. But when I first started it, it, it was painful. It was painful. Yeah. So, but uh, I do recommend um, anybody who's thinking about, you know, uh, you know, the psychology of watching, you know, Bad shit happened through a screen. Definitely read uh, read that book by uh, Attorney Colonel Phelps. It's a uh, um, it's very eye opening. No, yeah. go ahead and say the book again. So for our listeners, it's uh, on killing remotely. The psychology, remotely. Uh, the psychology of killing with drones. Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Phelps. So, wow, right there. It's a it's a good read. I like drones, man. That's a way of the future. You can, uh, you can do a lot of damage without having a lot of people on ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, death from above. <laughs> it, and we've been fortunate up to this point in um, in the last twenty years that nobody else has has them. Well, that's that's definitely changing now. You're starting oh, to yeah. see other countries, China, Iran, um, even uh, North Korea to a certain extent. They have access to these types of technology. Yeah. So, yeah, man, that's uh, it's scary because they're in the hands of some crazy people. Yeah, and. It's um, we think we you know uh, started with something as simple as you know night vision when we own the night. Now anybody can you know yep. go on eBay and get night vision. It's true. No, we used to own the air, own the airspace. Nobody uh, you know could challenge us in the airspace. And then having the ability to have essentially a hellfire just sitting there for mm-hmm. hours on end, and now that's no longer the case. It's definitely changing in our world. So. The next battle, you know, the next uh, competition will be where it'll be parity, and it will definitely uh, force us to rethink some of the uh, um, the advantages that we've had for the last twenty years. Wow! Yeah, that's scary. That's it's awesome though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. thank you so much yeah, for bringing man. that insight into yeah. our it's huge. Yeah, I mean, well, I had no idea. I think. When I was phase or when I was getting off of active duty, we were phasing in the UAVs, and and at that point in time, they could not fly with manned aircraft. So we would have yeah. to clear out the airspace and let them land, and they would take forever to taxi. I mean, just slow, big old, big old remote control birds. And um, we were working with the Air Force, so they were in the box and on the ground, mm-hmm. and they'd fall out of the sky in the ocean all the time. And, you know, just to see how far now this is in 2011s when I got off back to duty and now here, 10 years later, we're mastered it. This is what, this is what you're describing to us is the future. 
Yeah. So they've, we've had UAVs. UAVs have been around for a long time. There's a, uh, another uh, book. I, it escapes me at the moment, but basically the his, uh, history of uh, an unmanned system has been around since as far back as World War II. And even the V2s to a certain extent were an unmanned yeah. system. Uh, but they really came into their own, you know, uh, right there during the, uh, the Gulf War and then this, uh, the first Gulf War and then the subsequent uh, Balkan, uh, Balkan War. And believe it or not, the Navy actually had a, uh, an unmanned system squadron, active duty squadron, uh, at the height of Iraq. I ran into a bunch of those guys while I was there. They have since decommissioned them. In fact, yeah. I think they decommissioned them right there. Uh, um, right. Not long after I left and I even ran into some of those guys, but um, even some of them are, you know, up there within NSW have seen and brought NSW uh, this organic capability uh, for unmanned systems. Uh, and they're just from their experience from using uh, I think it was Pioneer uh, was the first one. And then the guys were operating uh, Shadow uh, out there as well. But Damn, man. You've seen for, for a, you spent most of your time in the Navy as a reservist after you got mm-hmm. uh, PTSD out. You've seen, I think you've seen cooler shit than I've seen in 26 years <laughs> of active duty, man. I, man, I can't, that's, you have awesome stories. And dude, thank you for your service. And thanks yeah. for what you do on the civilian side too, man. I mean, because that helps, helps all us out you know, here in the active duty reservist world, military world. It's uh, one of the reasons why I took this, the job that I did was, uh, you know, at some point the fun will have to stop for me. And and I know that. And then at the same time, you realize, like I said, that the next battle is coming, you know, what they've been screaming, you know, great power competition, great power competition. It's not a question of if it's a question of when, so what can I do to, uh, to help support those guys, God forbid that times come to help, you know, them develop the best possible uh, asset and tool to, you know, when they go to the fight, you know, it's quick as possible. You know, nobody wants, you know, protective warfare at all, but at the same time, we have to be realistic with ourselves and understand that, that, that this is, a, um, it, it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, so if I can just do my little part, to make sure the next group of guys coming in to replace us have the best tools at their disposal and to win that fight, uh, I'm going to do it. I think it was a, was it general, uh, Colin Powell said, you know, I don't want a fair fight. If I'm going into a fight, I'm going to use everything at my disposal to be just, so that's the way I look at it. It's like, it's not meant to be a fair fight. It's meant to be, uh, you know, as quickly as possible and to, you know, make the submit to the, you know, the will of, you know, Damn the powers right. that be at that time. You go, you so, got to get the W. It's all about the W because they're not playing fair it. either. Nope. So, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thanks again, man. Um, yes, I appreciate it, but uh, we're about to sign off, but I want you to stick around for a second. Uh, sure. We'll yes. For a quick second before we let you go. That's happened to me. Oh, thank you, thank thank you man. You. Thanks so much. We'll wish you fair winds. And following seas.